Those of you who have been with us will remember these words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. He said, The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Matthew 7.14 Maybe you've been thinking about those words for the past couple of weeks. And maybe some of you are asking, why would I take the hard road? Of course, one answer is included in the verse itself. It says the way is hard that leads to life because of where it's heading. But I've thought about the fact that there's also another reason why I would take the hard road. And to illustrate it, I want to put a picture up here I found online. I love that picture. And I look at that picture and I sum it up like this. The, the way is hard, but the company is out of this world. Jesus himself said these words in Matthew 28 as he commissioned his disciples in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. But did he leave them? Did he leave us to walk that road alone? No, he said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the truth is, if you've been in this world long enough, you know the the way through this world is hard, whether you know Jesus or not, right? We really just need to decide if we want to go it without him or with him. But what a blessing it is to go with him. He's not on the cross any longer. He's seated next to his father and he's far above all rule and authority and power, but he's also with us. And if you know your Bible, you know that that picture and that idea of him being with us doesn't even go far enough because he's also in the believer who believes in him. Remember what Paul called him in Colossians 1.27? He spoke of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the reason I start there with that question, why would I take the hard road, is Jesus comes back to that theme again in Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 18. He's going to talk about the cost of faithfully following him in this world. And it's all in the context of him speaking with three guys about following him. And in their back and forth, we get a chance to look at our own lives. But it begins in Matthew 8, chapter, verse 18. Excuse me. It says, when Jesus saw a crowd around him. Now, does anybody who was here last week remember why there was a crowd around him? He had just healed the multitudes right in front of Peter's house, right? And you can imagine the buzz, the, the, the joy. Wow, look at all these people who were healed. And now they're all leaving, but some of the crowd remains. He saw the crowd and he, he gave orders to go over to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, right? Time to go, guys. Let's get ready. It's in that context of that buzz and that crowd. It says, verse 19, a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, there's a couple things striking about this statement. One is that it's a scribe. Usually these guys didn't say these kind of things to Jesus. They're the guys usually coming against him, the experts in the law. But when you look at what he said, it's kind of amazing on the surface. Teacher, Not only will I follow you, but I will follow you wherever you go. Now, there's a lot of motives for for following Jesus. 
Some have wondered what was going on in this man's heart because of the way Jesus is going to respond to him. It could be that he's looking around at the buzz and excitement and, and the popularity that Jesus has right after the Sermon on the Mount and right after all these miracles, and he's thinking, hey, I ought to get in on this. One of the more cynical scholars that I read said he may have even, even been thinking, hey, this, is, this could be a cash cow. If I, if I hook up with this guy and, and we go on a road together, there could be a lot in it for me, the popularity and the fame. We don't know what was in his heart. All we know is how Jesus responded to him. And it's kind of a straight-up response. Verse 20, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's he saying to this guy? I know you see the popularity and the buzz right now, but it, it's not going to be like that where I'm heading. You think about the, the path that Jesus walked on your behalf and mine. You think about what happened in his own hometown, for example. He preaches in the town where he grew up. And you remember their response? They, they tried to throw him off a cliff, right? We're about to see in Matthew next week, he's going to cast demons out of two men. And rather than the town celebrating and say, yes, we worship you. You remember what they did? They, they beg him to leave. There, there's a passage in Luke where he's on his way to Jerusalem and he has to go through a Samaritan village and wants his disciples to prepare some things. But they tell him they won't welcome you because you're on the way to Jerusalem. And of course, it culminated at the cross, right? Man's response to Jesus. John puts it this way in John chapter 1, verse 9. This is the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And you think about all these responses of men and women to the King of kings and Lord of lords. I sometimes imagine if the angels who, who worshipped him 24-7 for all, all, all their history, served him, loved him, could look down and say, what in the world is wrong with these people? Right? Jesus warns this guy, that's the path I'm going down. He wants him to know the cost up front. It's important that we follow Jesus with a realistic outlook. That's the first of three things I want to get across today, that we follow him with a realistic outlook. Do you hear his words here? This is super important that you know this up front in your walk with Jesus. Because you remember what G.I. Joe said? Anybody grew up watching G.I. Joe knowing is... Half the battle. There was a guy like in his 20s that answered that at the first service. I said, you were watching reruns, right? He said, yep. Yeah, knowing is half the battle. You got to know it's going to be a hard road in this world because if you buy into the lies that some spin out there, that walking with Jesus is a cakewalk through this world, what's going to happen the first time a trial hits? You're going to be prime picking for the enemy to come and say, he doesn't love you. What are you walking with him for? Right? You need to know so that you're not like those in Matthew 13, verse 20, when Jesus talks about the different kinds of plants. 
You remember what he said? He said, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So I think as we ponder this realistic outlook, we need to ask some questions like, have I been deceived by anyone into thinking that walking with Jesus through this world will be an easy road? Am I tempted to give up on him because of a trial that I'm facing in my life? Or or do I have that realistic outlook when it comes to following Jesus? Realistic outlook. That's the first of the three. The second one, Second lesson I see in this passage is we need to follow him with a sense of urgency. With a sense of urgency. Verse 21. As another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. This is obviously in the context of talking about following Jesus. But he said, let me first go and and bury my father. Now there's a debate about this that we don't know the answer to was the man's father actually dead or was he elderly and about to die different folks go different ways on that i don't know where you fall bottom line scripture doesn't tell us either way what we know is he lived in a culture where rightfully so it was considered important to care for your parents at that time of death to to honor them in that season of death So with that in mind, we might read Jesus' response and find it to be shocking. Maybe even appalling when you first read it. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Is that what you expected Jesus to say right there? First, you're like, maybe, what does that even mean? Leave the dead to bury their own dead? And I, I believe he's saying there's, there's folks there that don't have a relationship with me. They're spiritually dead. They, they can take care of the needs of your father. But then even if we understand what he's saying, aren't there some of us like, Jesus, come on. That, that's like pretty harsh, right? That, it's kind of insensitive, Jesus. Is, is that over the top even? Or is anybody feeling that? Well, we've got to explore the context here and what it means and what it doesn't. Does it mean that none of us in this room should care for our family at times of death or sickness? No. No. You've got to look at the context. What's the context of him talking to this man? Matthew 8.18. He had told his guys he's, he gave orders to what? to go over to the other side of the lake. In other words, if this guy went back, he would literally miss the boat on following Jesus. So you may say, what does it mean for us? I believe there's some lessons here. It means that we all live on the brink of eternity. You do, I do, everyone you meet in this world lives on the brink of eternity. This life is fleeting. means we must serve Jesus with a sense of urgency because eternity is right around the corner. 
we have to prioritize that which is forever over that which is fleeting. Luke makes it even more clear in his account of this. Luke 9.60, as Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I've got an urgent mission for you to proclaim the kingdom of God. And I think about that. I think about two kinds of death in the scriptures. One is the first death. We know what that is, right? The, the physical death. But scripture also speaks of a second death. First death, that physical death, it, it is painful when we lose someone we love. And I believe Jesus weeps with us as we see in John chapter 11. He, he cares about those moments of first death. But as believers, we must never forget about the second death. You say, what is that? And for that, you go to Revelation 20, verse 11. John writes, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death. That's where the urgency in proclaiming the kingdom of God comes into the life of the believer. Do you know folks out there that don't know Jesus? Do I? Yes. And I think about lack of urgency. I, I imagined a scene. Could you imagine an apartment building on fire? And the, the fire crew shows up and, and, and they, they manage to, to pull a man out and bring him down. But, but he, he dies on the street and all of the fire guys are there standing there. While they're standing there, you hear the screams of other people still inside the burning apartment building. If they stand there too long, what's the crowd going to say? Guys, there are more in there. Go. Do everything you can to get them out. Serve with urgency. We have the message of hope they need. Those who are currently headed for the second death. Because in John 1, where we read the sad side that many did not receive Jesus, the good news right after that is John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I carry that message of hope and reconciliation that they need. I think about that even as we pray for healing and miracles in this life. We do pray for that sometimes, right? And God does that sometimes. But even as we do that, we need to keep in mind the eternal. Because let me ask you a question. Even Lazarus, perhaps the grandest miracle Jesus did outside of his own resurrection. He died. He came back from the dead. What happened later in history? Lazarus died again. He died again. So the greater, more important miracle in Lazarus' life was that he had that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Are we following Jesus with a sense of urgency? Final one. Follow him with forward focus. Forward focus. We go to Luke for this one because Matthew doesn't record this third guy. Luke 9, verse 61, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. If he was a Jewish man, he might have been thinking back to Elijah when he called Elisha. And Elisha said the same thing. Hey, can I go back and say goodbye to my family? And Elijah said, go ahead. What have I done to you? Go say goodbye to him. Jesus' answer may have been shocking to him. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Many believe part of what he's saying there is, hey, there's one Right here, Jesus is saying, greater than Elijah, worthy of an even greater surrender. But still, we're like, come on, Jesus. Again, like, not even say goodbye. we got to remember a couple things here. Jesus knew this man's heart inside and out, just like he knows yours and he knows mine. We know that from John chapter 2, verse 24. Remember, he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Some have wondered, did he know that if this man were to go back and say goodbye to his family, they would start talking to him, saying, you're crazy to follow him. Stay here. That, that he would have caved in and, and resisted the call to follow Jesus. We don't know that, but Jesus knew what this man needed to hear. So again, what's the lesson? Is it that we can never say goodbye to people when we follow Jesus? No. When we followed God's call to Arizona, we had many goodbye meetings, many tears and prayers and rejoicing in what God was doing. So you say, well, what is the lesson? To really get into the lesson, you got to look closely at Jesus' answer. Verse 62 in Luke 9. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You got to understand plowing in Israel. Man would hold on to a light wooden plow pulled by a yoke of oxen. And he had to look at those oxen if he wanted to plow a straight line. If he continued to do this, he'd be like the guy texting on the road. You seen those guys? They're not focused and they're all over the place, right? They would have understood that. What's he saying about our walk with Jesus? He's saying we have to serve him with a locked in forward focus on him. With a, a love for him that is so great that it outweighs our love for anything and anyone else in this world. A love that means there may be times where I have to make decisions that the people I love here think are crazy. I may have to say things they don't want to hear because I love him even more than I love them. I think about how we can be distracted by a backward focus. And for this man, it was his family. But there's all kinds of ways we can be distracted looking backwards. One of them is by constantly looking back at our past. 
I think about that and I think how thankful I am that there's the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. If you've never read it, Genesis 37 to 50. I'd encourage you to read it this afternoon or maybe even read it again. Think about Joseph's life. Brothers who hatched murderous plans against him were going to kill him, then threw him in a hole, sold him into slavery, wrongly accused by an employer, tossed into jail, and then people make promises that they're going to tell the king to help get him out, and they forget. If there was ever someone who walked the face of this earth who could have looked back at their past and stayed in a place of bitterness as a bitter victim of life, it was Joseph. It was Joseph. But did he do that? No, he didn't. You know how, how God used him. He raised him up to second in command to provide food not only for Egypt, but also for his family, God's family, Israel. But we see this even in the way he named his two boys. Did you know that? Names meant a lot to the Hebrews. Okay, and I want you to listen to what he, he named his two boys. The, the seven years of plenty had happened and the years of famine were about to begin and he had some boys. Genesis 41:50. that before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Manasseh sounds like the Hebrew for forget. And Joseph explains in his own words why he named him that. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. You hear him choosing to look forward in faith? The, the next name even more so. 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, which sounds like the Hebrew for fruitful. And here's Joseph's own words for why. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Even the names of his children tell us that Joseph made a choice of faith to look forward to what God was and would do in his life. And you read the story over and over. You, you read these precious little phrases like the Lord was with him or the Lord showed him steadfast love. And you think about how different things could have been if he didn't take that perspective. After everything he went through, how easy would it have been when Potiphar's wife came to him, not once, not twice, but time after time to sleep with him. How easy would it have been to say, I'm going to do whatever the heck I feel like because I feel like God's bailed on me. My life's nothing but a mess. I'm entitled to do what I want. But what did he do? He said, how could I commit this sin against God? He chose to look forward to lock his eyes on God. It's not just a, a painful past that can sometimes distract us. Sometimes it's even a good past. You think about the Apostle Paul. He had religious pedigree like none others. His ancestry, his training, all of that. He talks about it in Philippians 3. Then he meets Christ and it changes everything. He becomes the persecuted one. You know what he said in Philippians 3.13? One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Do you have that forward focus locked on Jesus? And you may hear all these things and say, okay, I hear, follow him with a realistic outlook, follow him with urgency, follow him with a forward focus. 
But these guys here, they all had Jesus face to face. Like Jesus doesn't show up face to face to me and talk about following. How, how do I, I know <laughs> where Jesus is calling me? That's a really good question. I think a lot of us wrestle with it at one point or another in our lives, maybe many times. The short answer is through a relationship with him. I say that because how many of you, when you were born, someone did someone give your parents a, a, a calendar of your whole life that said, your baby will live in such and such a town at this age and will marry so-and-so and have this many children and they'll be employed in this or that and this is what they'll do for God. Did, did any of you get that when you were born? No, <laughs> I didn't either. What we're given if we come to Jesus in faith, accept Him as our Savior and Lord, as a relationship with Him. He talks about it as abiding in Him. It's like a shepherd in his sheep, Psalm 23. A shepherd doesn't give his sheep a road map and say, go get it, does he? He walks with them step by step and takes them where his good plan would take them. It's kind of like Henry Blackaby explained it in his book, Experiencing God. He, he was a pastor in farm country for a while and the first time he went to one farmer's house the farmer gave him directions you you go down this dirt road and you turn left at the big boulder and then a little further down you turn right at that sycamore and 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 so on and then you get to a big red barn with a hole in it down there a few miles and then you, and he, he talked about the challenge of getting there that way we said the next time i went there guess what the farmer was with me it, it was a, a whole different journey and that's the idea I'm getting at with this abiding in Jesus. We have God's word, but God's word, the Bible, is not a dead word. It's a living word. It invites us into relationship with Jesus, who's also the living word, who will lead us step by step. As we look where God's working in our world, we, we look in his word, we pray, we follow the spirit. I believe it's important to be part of a fellowship because you cannot fully do God's will out apart from the fellowship of God's people. There's too many one another's in God's will to do that. We need each other. And he works in our circumstances to lead us. You say, give me some examples. Well, I'll tell you about two things, one personal and, and one in a community organization. Now, personally, uh, on Wednesday nights at the church, for about the past month, we have been praying specifically, not only for those there, but for all of you, that, that God would open up doors of opportunity in our neighborhoods to be a light to our neighbors. We've been praying that for those there and for you all to, to witness and love and, and be that light of Jesus in our neighborhoods. And some of this answer started even before we started that, but we found out from a friend that someone a street over from where we live was really hurting. She was really discouraged, feeling alone at the end of her rope and our friend told us about it and we started wrestling with what to do because what do you just total stranger show up at the door and say hey we heard you're hurting uh, what how do we we wrote a letter and we put it in an envelope and taped it to her door and among other things just said hey we live close by to you and we heard you're hurting and you feel alone we want you to know you're not alone Number one, Jesus is there. I want you to hear his invitation. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I'll give you rest. And number two, we're just a block away. Here's our phone number. If you want to call, we'll walk this with you too. And it took some time, but we finally heard after a few weeks that, that she responded. She wants to connect. We, we heard it through our other friends. So pray this week. We'll see where that leads. But we didn't know where those prayers in that prayer group were going to lead. God did. And there are others in there that have shared testimony as well. Let me share another example of, of Jesus leading step by step. Yesterday, we were at the 10-year celebration for Agape House. How many of you know what Agape House is? Wonderful organization that, that helps people in a time of homelessness get shelter, discipleship, meet Jesus. Ten years they've been around. Let me ask you a question. When, when they first started dreaming of that, do, do you think they had any clue of all the specific families they would reach or all the properties they own, where to, to put those people or what all God would do in those 10 years? No. How did it start? It started when one of the founders, Cindy Campbell, was encountered with God's word where he speaks about faith of a mustard seed. And she res responded to that in her heart for the, the, the poor and her compassion for the poor and said, I got to do something about this. I don't know what, but I believe God's going to do something. And she started networking her and her husband, Neil, with Becky Mitchell and other people. Step by step by step, they walk with Jesus. And here they find themselves. 10 years later. You say, I want, I want that relationship with Jesus where I'm walking with him day by day. A couple words of caution. We live in a loud world that sometimes makes it hard to hear his voice. A million things to distract us, some in neutral ways, some in evil ways. Author of Proverbs says this plainly, Proverbs 9, 13. He says, the woman folly or foolishness is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Foolishness shouts loudly in this world. And that stands in contrast in my mind to how God spoke to Elijah when he was in the cleft of the rock. How did he speak to him? in a still, small voice. So what do we got to do as believers? I think we got to turn up the volume in our relationship with Jesus. I've always been a loud volume guy. When I was growing up, growing up, I had a stereo in my bedroom, and it was my mom asking me to turn it down. Now that I'm married, it's Carolyn saying, do you have to have it up that loud? <laughs> Any other loud volume people? All right. We got to turn up the, the volume in our relationship with Jesus, and that takes intentionality in this fallen world. Proverbs, again, talking about wisdom, which as believers we know from Corinthians, Christ is our wisdom, right? What does wisdom say in Proverbs 8:34? Blessed is the one who listens to me. We got to listen. Watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Do you hear the intentionality there? Listening, watching, waiting. Do you have that going on in your relationship with Jesus? As we close, I want to come back to the why. It's not an easy road. Back to the why. Why would I serve like this? 
Again, it's because of who we serve. We talked to you about the context. This comes up in Matthew, what we've seen about King Jesus. We've just seen that he's all wise, right? You cannot read the Sermon on the Mount without acknowledging that, that divine wisdom. We've seen that he's all powerful as he healed that leper and the centurion's servant and the multitudes. We've also seen that he's filled with love, right? Because he didn't just speak the word to that leper. He touched him. And Mark tells us he was filled with compassion for that leper. That, that's who we're talking about serving. Luke's context is also instructive. He brings these guys up in Luke chapter 9. And in Luke 9, 51, here's the context. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. How many of you know why he resolutely set out for Jerusalem? That is where he would be arrested and tried and sentenced to a cross for your sin and mine. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem for you and for me. Ephesians 1.7 says it this way, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. John gets more to the point in 1 John 4, 19. Maybe you can finish it. We love because he first loved us. And there's something I want to keep in front of us this year at Church Next Door. I want to show you when Carolyn and I were away at our anniversary getaway, I was reading Psalm 143, verse 8 says, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Now, do you notice the progression in that verse? First he speaks of God's steadfast love. Then he talks about his trust in God. And then he says, make me know the way I should go. And I thought about how that makes perfect sense. Because why would I follow someone unless I trust them? And why would I trust them unless I was absolutely convinced that I knew they loved me? So when it comes to this matter of God's will, we have to start at knowing his love. Do you know his love? That he sent his son to die for your sins and rise again. If you've trusted that in the past, do you, are you clinging to that today? Know God's love. Give him your trust. Follow his lead. I think about that love and I think about an email I got this week from a friend who just came out of a dark season by their own description. I want you to listen what they wrote. My family and my friends have been my support and reminded me of the grace that God so freely gives. He exchanged his brilliant robes for my rags. His love doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't have to. And she went on to write some song lyrics. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, brighter than snow you may be today. Grace that is greater than all my sin. That's why I would follow my king with a realistic outlook. That's why I would follow him with urgency. That's why I would... Follow him with a forward focus on him. 
Paul Tripp wrote it this way, you're called to obey, but your obedience is not your hope. No, your hope is forgiving, enabling, and delivering grace. And I dare say we need no more motivation than that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these conversations with these three men. We're not told in the scriptures whether they followed or not. Kind of puts the, the question in our, our courts. Will we be those who follow you? But Lord, just as we shared here at the end, we've got to start with your love. If there's anyone in here who, who struggles with that idea or is not clear on the fact that God loves them, draw them by your spirit to the cross where the blood of your son flowed for them. Draw them to salvation and forgiveness and freedom. And for those of us who have already been there, may we continue to, to walk in moment-by-moment moment relationship with you. Now, it's frustrating to us humans sometimes to not have the whole plan mapped out. But we have something so much better in that moment-by-moment moment fellowship with you. Please lead us in that. Lead us to be those who do follow you realistically, with urgency, and with a forward focus. Show us what that looks like in our lives today. Lead us, please, by your good spirit. I pray even as we take our offering, it will be from great gratitude. Not just that you've made heaven available someday, but eternal life today, because eternal life is knowing you and the one you sent. It's in his name we pray. Amen.